0: I'm <laughs> not
1: Welcome to the Deconstructions Podcast, everybody. Happy holidays.
2: Happy holidays. Happy holidays, John. I finally figured out how to take the metronome off when we record. (laughs) That was fun. Take three. All All right. right. Oh, my goodness. So this one's a big one for me because... It is, man. This is one of my, like... I'm not going to say childhood heroes because I was a young adult by the time I picked up on these guys, but... You were a total child. I was. (laughs) I'm still a child. Still a child, too. (laughs) I'm an old child with a beard. (laughs) But, uh, no, he's, he's one of my favorite lead singers, probably my favorite lead singer. Um, and it's, it's my heavier, angry side. This you, is my I gym. Didn't know this
1: about, about you until we were friends for a while that you have this,
2: this angry metal side. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so people, it weirds people out. Cause I listen to a lot of different kinds of music. Yeah, like, you do. Everything from like fifties doo wop, oldies. You were like, like
1: a choir boy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I was a legit choir boy. I
1: know. <laughs> But, see, it's all coming full circle. Now I'm getting it. See, I listen to
2: classical music. So my iPod is like schizophrenic It's on a whole nother level.
1: Multiple personality disorder.
2: <laughs> all over the place. So like this, so I have this heavy side, you know, so I can... Because I just don't understand people who go to the gym and they're trying to get that extra rep by listening to like top 40 like Europop. And I'm like, how is that pumping you up? It's not working. I don't get it. My go-to
1: is Rage Against the Machine.
2: I think that's a good move. Yeah. We talk about them. Yeah. On this. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, like, I'm sure there's some fans out there. Um, I know we kind of, like, teased at this, like, a year ago, I think, on Facebook, and some people got excited about it. So I know there's some other Project 86 fans out there, but we got the lead singer of Project 86, the lead singer of London 6 Echo, Andrew Schwab. Andrew freaking Schwab. He is a super interesting dude, like, super nice. Um, I, uh, I always said, like, one day if I ever have a platform where I can, you know, help promote my favorite band... I would huh. totally do it. Nah. So I approached him after a, a concert. And I don't know if he's ever gonna listen to this, but who knows? But like I approached him after a concert, and you know you have those days where you're like, you feel like the world's best salesman.
1: Oh yeah. No. This
2: was not that day. <laughs> uh, I remember though that you were
1: you were giddy, man. You were so excited when when you when you like approached him. Cause you like yeah. I think it was that night. You were just like blowing my phone up with text yeah. like, dude, <laughs> I've got a great idea for an episode. This guy's been through it. He's seen the crap of CCM. He has been screwed yes. over by the industry. He's angsty. He's rethought his faith. He's had a journey. Like, it would just be a great conversation.
2: Perfect. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it just happened to fit so well. But like that night, I was definitely not having like a uh, an awesome salesman moment. So right. I just kind of walked up and I was like, hey, man, so I got this podcast. Can we do this thing. And like, and he was just like staring at me. <laughs> and he's like, if you're asking if I'll do it, I'll do it. And I was like, Okay, but then I felt the need to continue to pitch it for some reason.
3: Cool, 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 (laughs) cool. Okay,
2: but and then I and then like I totally he gave me the email address uh to email him and I promptly forgot it as soon as I got back to the car because my brain was mush. Yeah. Fortunately, we have mutual friends in the industry, so I was like, "Hey, dude, I know you got his contact." You had the heart eye emoji. Heart eyes, dude. Seriously. Yeah, you were the heart eye emoji. But like, I've followed these guys for for over ten years now, and um, and like. Was super uh, stoked to get the to get him on the show, and as you said, yeah, he's got a super interesting backstory. Um, they started in the industry in a, a really unique time in um in the music industry, specifically for you know quote finger quote Christian music, where like which doesn't exist, which doesn't exist.
1: It's just music, good just music. music made by people that happen to be Christians.
2: Yes, and you know, and so those of you who have listened to our prior episodes with like Derek Webb. And like K Max and, and guys like that who, are, who have kind of gone through a similar journey where they're like, look, we just tried to make good, honest music. You know, this is a very interesting story. So, we've got a guy who he's an um, amazing lyricist who is a lead singer of a band um, who's seen like the highest highs, the lowest lows, and everything in between. Um, got signed to a major label, and then that kind of fell through and kind of reinvented you know, their career, their sound, and all that sort of thing. So, we kind of walk through that. Um, but along the way, he's also a, a published author, he's a speaker, um, he speaks at a lot of the, uh, the Christian festivals and, and churches and stuff like that. So he's just got a super interesting story and a really unique insight into that very bizarre industry. Yeah,
1: he, he's a smart dude. You guys are going to like this combo.
2: So yeah, So uh, I don't want to go too much further, but I will say,
1: our friend who was convinced that I used Screamo music. The, the one guy on Twitter that, that said... He was convinced. I love everything but the Screamo.
2: But the screamo and we like, had
1: never used screamo no
2: but until now <laughs> until now <laughs> still not technically screamo but it's definitely heavy music so if you like heavy music this is going to be great for you yes if you don't I'm sorry sorry you can come back next week yep when we go back to full the acoustic we're,
1: we're gonna be back to full which is really really funny because Love the last the last few episodes have been like the most more atom music the like real you put that who was the guy with uh, Kent Dobson? What was his name again?
2: John John Bryant. Oh, so good. He's a beast, dude. beast. Really, really good. So, like, uh, hopefully you guys are still enjoying the music. Last week, again, we had um, Eddie Berman, I think, mm-hmm. is who we used last week. So, if you enjoy the music, follow us on, on Spotify. We have a playlist. Just search in the Spotify search box for The Deconstructionist Podcast, and our playlist will pop up. You can follow us. We update it every week. And as always... Check out our website, www.thedeconstructionist.com. We have a Patreon campaign going with a lot of really cool um, swag and stuff that we'll send you, including a book club. So there's one in there where we will send you a book every month. Curated books. Exactly. So I don't know what this month's going to be. We're deliberating. Yep. (laughs) So Got a couple options. And a bunch of other cool stuff uh, for anybody that um, donates on any level. Uh, we actually, we've already kind of said this on our Facebook live, so we can probably let the cat out of the bag.
1: Yeah. Just say it.
2: So we're, we're doing a little side podcast, um, as yet to be named, but Adam and I are, are, are writing, um, original sermons and we're also pulling famous sermons from like some of the, the biggest, baddest preachers of all time.
1: Yeah. Lots of cool stuff, man.
2: And so Adam is going to do his best, um, sturgeon, Spurgeon, (laughs) um, and,
1: uh, I've always, you know, he, he was such a beast of a preacher that I always kind of imagined that he actually preached kind of like Mike Tyson. (laughs) Like he had this, I'm probably
2: wrong. (laughs) Any any of the Southern ones, I just assume sound like Colonel Sanders. So that's how I'm going to do it.
1: So (laughs) no, but we just figured that a lot of you, um, you know, churches, church is a funny thing. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have a really complicated relationship with church. I mean, um, If you think too hard about church, which probably if you're listening to this, you're plagued, like we are, of thinking way too hard about things sometimes, (laughs) it's tough to um, oftentimes sit through a Sunday sermon. Like, as well intended as most preachers are, it's just um, either a bunch of rhetoric or it's just kind of lukewarm, or it's just sometimes Sundays are just tough. And there are a lot of good preachers out there. We've had a lot of them on the show, but for a lot of us, we don't have access to those churches or whatever. And sure, iTunes is great. You can download, um, you know, follow different preachers from all over the place or, you know, whatever you're into, um, you know, Ram Dass or Alan Watts or, you know, there's lots of really great stuff, but we thought it'd be really cool to curate and then write some originals and just call it like the Sunday Sermon Project, like as an alternative to uh, whatever you're going through out there. So that's another thing that we're bringing to the Patreon,
2: working overtime to give you guys some good juice. So yeah, uh, Patreon supporters will get to hear those first and then eventually... Um, we will, we will release those in full, um, out to the general public. So, um, so yeah, so look forward to that. And, uh, without further ado, Andrew Andrew Friggin friggin' Schwab. Schwab.
1: Well, Andrew, thank you so much for uh, giving us your time tonight to hang out and chat about music and faith and um, everything in between those two things and around those things. We just really appreciate you hanging out with us and uh, chatting for a little bit tonight.
4: Yeah, man. Same here. Thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely. Well, this is a big dream come true for me. Um, I've been a fan uh, since I was trying to figure this out today since probably like 2099, somewhere around there. Um, I actually came across back in the day, most of our listeners are probably too young to remember this, but record stores used to actually have listening booths and they were the best. They were so good. And I was in a record store in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, randomly, uh, with my girlfriend at the time. And I found this, this record called drawing black lines and I popped it in, in the booth was it CD or cassette. Oh, CD. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, what is this? And I immediately bought it, listened to it the entire trip home to Indiana. Walked into my best friend's apartment, uh, my buddy Justin, and he had a bunch of people over. I walked into the apartment, and he looks at me, and he's you know kind of like, "Hey, what's going on?" I'm like, "Shh, don't don't talk, don't talk to me." I walked right into a stereo, I popped it in, I cranked it. He had this really nice surround sound. I cranked it up, and he was just like, words I can't repeat, you know. And he was just like, <laughs> "What is this?" And I was like, "This is this is a new band I just found." They're called Project 86. They're they're amazing. And here we are, like uh, however you know, many years later, 17, 18 years later, and been following you ever since. So so yeah, thanks for doing this.
4: I was just gonna say, well shoot, the pressure's on now. <laughs> oh dude.
1: <laughs> That's right. It's so on. You better not disappoint John here. That's
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so this is a big year. You guys are celebrating 20 years uh in the business. Um you're working on you just completed a really successful uh, crowdsourced fundraising campaign. Um, just finished uh, th- this brand new album that's about to release. In fact, when we release this episode, um, I believe the album is dropping that actual that that day. So it should be out right now as you're listening to this. Uh, but let's start back at the beginning. So you started in, in the '90s, um, and and um, a lot of the guys that were originally in the band, you guys, uh, as I understand, went to school together. So like I, I believe, if I remember correctly, '96 was when you guys started.
4: Yeah, that was the year the band started,
2: 1996. Okay. So, uh, so 98, you come out with your first album. And uh, back then, like, you know, there wasn't the social media uh, that we have today. Um, there's still this weird thing with like, Christian radio is still like, we we joke because we have a, a station here called The River. And it's mostly like Stephen Curtis Chapman. Bloop,
1: bloop. <laughs> yeah.
2: Stuff like that. So it's like, so you guys really had to make it on your own. And one of the things that you guys were, were renowned for is your, uh, your your intense live show. And, and you guys really kind of started to make a name for yourselves uh, through word of mouth. Uh, so so leading into when you guys first got signed uh, to Tooth & Nail Records, uh, what, was, what was that conversation like? Did you guys sit down as a band and, uh, and have a specific conversation around like, you know, like we want to get signed obviously, but is there specific conversation pertaining to like secular label versus Christian label, or was that not even a conversation?
4: Well, we all sort of came up, you know, as guys going to shows of those early teeth and nail bands. And I think that was all of our first exposure to the idea that you could be a person of faith, but still, you know, do music in a way that wasn't lame. You know what I mean? Mm, Yeah. Um, And so we had a lot of friends and bands that were on, label and it, it you know we were courted by by a bunch of different labels really early on but we all kind of wanted to sign it to The notice because we thought that that scene of bands was cool you know and it really you know it really didn't come down to much more than that we felt like we we'd get some cool opportunities if we went there we'd definitely get a chance to you know play with some of the bands that we liked and um I don't think there was a much more, you know, in-depth conversation than that back in those days. Just real quick because um, you know, I'm just a little bit
1: more new to you guys, you know, uh, John's, you know, obviously given me the history and a bunch of stuff to listen to and all that kind of stuff. I'm really enjoying it, but I I'm, I'm curious um before we get into a little bit more about the evolution, um what was your like upbringing like that led you to start making music? I mean, if you if you don't mind, just kind of think back to You know, did you grow up in church, like, you know, listening to that kind of music, being exposed to that kind of music, and and how did that kind of turn into eventually being uh, Project 86?
4: That's a good question. Yeah, I didn't, I I suppose my um, path as a a music fan as a kid is a little bit different than a lot of the other kids who ended up, you know, playing in bands that sort of came out of this scene. You know, I didn't grow up in, in church Um, I didn't grow up being exposed to Christian music. Um, that's not totally true. I grew up in Catholic church, but not in church in the way you mean it. Yeah. Um, uh, so I was not exposed to any of this stuff as a kid. And, um, that was probably why when I was a teenager, a young adult, you know, when I was exposed to this kind of world that I had never heard of, I thought it was really interesting. Mm. Um, because uh, you know, I became a, a born again Christian when I was, you know, late in high school, and I had some friends who took me to like a Christian bookstore and showed me music, and I just thought it was the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> um, but but like I said, um, there were a handful of bands I liked um, that I found out about um, uh, through a couple couple other guys, a couple different friends who were also Christian. And that was when the idea was sort of born in me. You know, wow, you can do this thing because I was passionate about my faith. I just thought the idea of Christian rock or whatever was really dumb. <laughs> so um, you're not alone there. Yeah, I, I guess I've never, I've never been a proponent of that idea. I've always wanted to do it in a cool way. And yeah, it's not as you know obvious. I guess that you know the idea that you take something and make it Christian, mm-hmm. you know, it obviously makes it a lot less cool. Right. So, <laughs> but is is there a way to, is there a way to just be yourself and make music that you like, um, in such a way so it doesn't come off as like hokey. That was always kind of the vision for the band. And that was always the thing that I sort of gleaned from going to shows back in the day, you know, mm. the crucified or, uh, you know, some of those early teeth and nail bands, you know, like Plank Eye and things like that. There was yeah. a real vibrancy and honesty about that scene um, that I, I really appealed to me. Um, and that's sort of what I translated and what we translated into, like, that first record and those early shows and developing a reputation for the band. Hmm. Very cool.
2: I think that was, that was my experience, too, is I didn't even realize that there were... Because my only experience, I think, was, like, Sandy Patty. And so like when somebody said Christian music, I was like, oh, really? You know, so I didn't know until I had some friends after I moved to introduce me to, you know, there's like Christian metal and, and like Christian punk or whatever. And I still, I'm kind of like you, I think where I'm like, what does that even mean to be Christian metal? It's just guys who happen to be Christian who are making good rock music. But you know. yeah, what does that mean? I mean, since we're, since we're talking about it,
1: I mean, a little off script, but like we might as well just hit it now. Like what, what does that mean? Like, to, to be a, I mean, a Christian band, it can mean so many things.
4: Yeah, um, I mean, like I said before, I think that the concept of Christian metal or Christian rock or Christian hardcore is a, it's a little bit of like a, mic, a misnomer or an oxymoron. Um, it's really just marketing, right? Mm. A way for, you know, people to sell records mm. to parents who don't want to buy music that's dark or has foul language or whatever for their kids. Um, um, and that's why Christian Bookstore Music was founded It's an alternate marketing system to people who go to church, especially for parents. Um, yep. You know, it's just an, an evil, I guess. But, I mean, we also owe a lot of our fan base to such marketing sure. concepts. So, I yep. mean, the the endeavor or the great goal of every band is to be taken seriously for your music and to be viewed as an artist, Mm -hmm. just like every other artist out there, you know? Um, So, I mean, these are just terms. I mean, to me, it's like there's good music and bad music. It doesn't really matter what the genre or marketing scheme behind it is. You know, decent music usually is going to end up speaking for itself.
5: Mm.
2: That's good. Absolutely. So, let's go a little further down the line here so we get we get closer to 2000 and you guys go into the studio and you make uh this album called drawing black lines and for for better for worse that's kind of the album that um you guys really became known by or still known by in in many respects um when you guys were making this album did you guys have a sense for like this is something special or were you guys just still kind of kind of too young to know and we're just just making music that you loved at that point
4: yeah I don't think we really knew what we had. We were definitely just having fun, and uh, I don't think we really knew until the album was completely finished you know how good it really was. Um, and it wasn't until really we started getting people reacting to it. Um, we didn't put a lot of overthought into it. Um, I think it was good timing. I think we had a lot of hunger as a band um watching some of our peers you know, gain some success and thinking, hey, why not us, um, we need to really write a good record, you know, and I think all the members of the band really wanted to make the same kind of album, sonically, and uh, it's really one of the few times in the history of the band where all the people involved were on the same page, and we're not pulling in separate directions, we're all just, hey, this is the kind of record we want to make, you know, and we'd learned some things from our first record, and so we wanted to go a different route in terms of, like, tempos and energy and dynamics and things like that and so we really were just having fun we really didn't know what we were doing um, even the recording itself um, was sort of a perfect storm of mistakes in terms of the way it turned out and the way it sounds and everything uh, it's not something that can necessarily be recreated, it was just kind of a piece of magic for a specific period of time where a lot of different factors sort of lined up to make this really special record to a lot of people and you put on that album, there's just a lot of life to it. You know, it's just raw sounding and it's got a lot of energy and a lot of heart, a lot of passion. And uh, you hear that we're having fun, you know? And I think that was the key to it all. Is that We were just enjoying ourselves, making the music that we really wanted to make.
2: Oh man. Yeah. Still one of my favorites, but uh, so yeah. So around this time, like this album comes out, like I remember watching uh, one of your documentaries and, and you just recounting the fact that all of a sudden, like just tons of kids start showing up to your shows. And I think specifically, I believe it was like Cornerstone or something. And, and there were just like kids everywhere. You couldn't even see the road and all this sort of thing. And so I can only imagine the, the mainstream record labels at this point are probably like, whoa, you know, like there are these so-called Christian bands who are still selling a ton of records with half the, the you know, the corporate vehicle behind them. And so like, I, I remember watching this kind of happen where all of a sudden all these bands start getting signed up. like your PODs, your blind sides, or like even some of the punk bands like MXPX and stuff. And I remember seeing you guys get signed for Atlantic and I was super excited for you guys. Um, but the Atlantic experience did not go uh, probably. And, I, and I'd love for you to talk about this quite how you thought it would. And I remember reading some stuff about how, when you guys sat down to actually record truthless heroes that, it felt very different in terms of their courting process than your previous efforts had.
4: Yeah. I mean, the dream for every, every band like around that time was to get signed to a major label. And when we entered into that world, um, it was such a romanticized, you know, it was like a fantasy to us, you know what I mean? And the reality is it's highly competitive and, uh that's a lot that goes into breaking a band and a lot has to go your way in order to get the right opportunities to break your band. And so um, we found ourselves even on dry and black lines, which was the licensing deal with Atlantic um, really sort of getting lost in the shuffle um, of other bands in similar genres and things like that. Um, we really didn't get much, put behind the album. I mean, everything that drumback Back Lines did, we kind of just did on our own, you know, with touring, et cetera. Um, I mean, Tooth and Nail was behind it to a certain extent, but they've never really dumped much in terms of marketing on their bands. And we just, again, we were a small fish in a, in a big lake uh, for that album, but it sold enough to the point where Atlantic, you know, ponied up some money and bought us out of our original deal with Tooth and Nail and then we ended up signing to Atlantic, uh, you know, as our main label for our third release, which is Truthless Heroes. And then, you know, with a bigger budget, more investment from the label comes, you know, more cooks in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And so, whereas on our second record, it was very free. It was fast. you we were just being spontaneous, having fun. It wasn't very overthought. We were just doing our thing. You know, the, the third record, there was like an expectation for us now to sell a million records or more. And so they wanted radio singles and they wanted this and they wanted that. And everything was really overthought and overwrought in management and NR, and attorneys and just blah, blah, blah. It just really sucked the fun out of the whole process. Man. Um, uh, we wrote uh, Truth and Serials for about 18 months. I think we ended up spending, you know, like 400 grand or something to make the record. And it just wasn't as fun. It was just a really overthought process, and I honestly, personally, didn't have interest in writing commercial pop singles. You know, I wanted yeah. to write if I wanted to write a heavier record, even than Drawing Black Lines. I just wanted it to be brutal and honest, and that's just not what happened. Um, we were sort of caught between a rock and a hard place with these sort of threats. Well, from the label, well, if you don't give us radio singles, we're not going to work your record, or we're not going to put out your record, or whatever, I mean that's always sort of in play. Wow. So, you know, the interesting thing I would tell that album is the finished product that was Truthless Heroes. If we just would have tweaked a couple things, it probably would have been a little bit different on the story. Like, we recorded uh, The Spy Hunter during, you know, the sessions of making that record, but we didn't release it because it wasn't one of the songs that the label was excited about. But if we would have just put that, re- put that song first on the record, I think the fan base would have been so excited that we would have carried a lot of momentum maybe into you know the more melodic singles on the record. Mm, and yeah. I I was always, I always talk about the song order. Like, put that song first on the record, put Hollow again second, you know, and another Border Movement third, and maybe SMC fourth, and you've got a totally different record. Those are four you of know? my favorite songs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so just even the song order and the fact that we left spy Hunter, one of the most memorable songs in our catalog off the record, just shows you how overthought it was and how like, we weren't the ones pulling all the triggers, you know, sometimes with a lot of it, our, our guy was just so overly involved. Um, I mean, it it was an interesting time and we got a lot of really cool opportunities just to be part of that world for a few years. And um, no, we didn't end up going double platinum or anything like that. But we sure developed a lot of experience and collected a lot of memories that most people don't get to, you know, have as a part of their story. So, you know, I feel like anything is sort of established the the legacy that is our band, even if it's some of that is, you know, what might've been, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Hmm. One of the things I've always wanted to ask you, and this, this is so like for, for people that don't know, um, I know there's some diehards out there who, who are well familiar with the album, but, um, when you, when you guys released, uh, truthless heroes, it came with this really elaborate, what I thought was like a really cool website. Um, if I remember correctly, it was like a bunch of tiny, like squares that you could click on that would, reroute you to like different news sources and stuff like that. But, um, but the theme of the album was just kind of like, you know, think for yourself, dig for the truth, that, that sort of thing. And, um, mm. and I know when you're, when, when you guys were slated to release your second single um, right around that time, if I remember correctly, nine 11 happened. And the second single, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, and you can totally correct me on this was your heroes are dead, which is a killer song, but obviously like could not have been worse timing for like the mood of the country at that point, but like looking back at that album now, I'm like, man, I feel like it was just it. It should have just, if it would have been released at any other time, I feel like it would have been perfect. Do you do you ever feel like that, or?
4: Yeah, I mean, just kind of the general tone was not um, not in line with what the the culture was feeling at the moment after the tragic events of nine eleven, right? And so here we are releasing this album sort of, you know, not criticizing, but just taking a critical look at the culture in which we live. Mm. And, you know, after 9-11 ha- happened, all the world wanted to hear was something positive. You know what I mean? Because, you know, I just don't think culture had room for anything else. That sentiment of the 90s where everything was kind of like, you know, um, just on a darker tip, lyrically, that all went away in an instant. Mm. you know what I mean, because of nine eleven so you know it worked to the advantage of a band like p o d whose single was you know i I feel so alive, you know it's just very uplifting mm-hmm. you know, whereas <laughs> we've always written music that's a little bit darker, you know, um, mm. and that was great up until that time, but when those events happened, it was like, it wasn't going to happen anymore. You know what I mean? In the pop cultural sense. Hmm. One of the things that I'm
1: thinking while I'm hearing you just talk through all this stuff, um, is just the idea of being an artist and wanting to express something honestly and creatively, um, in a way that, you know, resonates with people on a very real level and having to do that under, the burden of different kinds of, uh, labels. And I'm not talking about like a record label, like tooth and nail or Atlantic, but like the label of this type of music or that type of music, whether it's, you know, Christian music or pop music or hardcore music or like, you know, whatever label you want to put on it. It, it actually brings to mind a quote from a song by an artist. I like, uh, Derek Webb's got this quote where he says, don't teach me about truth and beauty. Just label my music. Because at the end of the day, art is supposed to, Um, Connect on a very real level with something, uh, with with people, uh, with truth, and with beauty, and with uh, things that are very um, a lot of times confrontational. You know, presenting truth in a way that you can receive it. Where you know you were to just hear somebody speak it directly to you, maybe you couldn't. But when you hear it in a song, you know it kind of works. Whereas you know when you're under the burden of a certain kind of label or an expectation to make this type of music or that type of music, it almost just capitulates to something that somebody wants it there's not i wonder does it does it draw away from the honesty of the art you do you find yourself struggling with that in different ways
4: Mm, yeah i mean i think one of the things that used to be a a bigger fight than it was now is really and this is the career trajectory trajectory of a lot of bands that have come out of this you know, faith-based scene is when you first start out, you know, a lot of the artists in one form or another are like youth group kids or kids that came out of, you know, a Christian worldview and are just making music that reflect that worldview. Mm -hmm. And then when your band starts getting a little bit more successful, you start realizing, oh, this isn't that cool. Oh, other people won't listen to my band because it's known as Christian. So what can we do to sort of change that perception in people's minds? And it never really works. Once (laughs) you're branded as a Christian band, it's kind of over. You have to be really careful, you know, how you build, you know, the thing from the beginning. And there's Mm -hmm. been a few bands that have done it the right way um, along the way, but uh, not very many. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, in some senses, we were a victim of that. um, Because I think that, you know, we've written music along the way that, uh, objectively speaking, um, should be a part of the the greater heavy music conversation. You know, it's not. Um, you know, uh, most of our music is not cheesy. We've written some really good songs that resonate with people. Mm. You know, the sound is the sound is unique. You know, and the live show is strong. You know, and I'm not saying that. Um, I'm trying to say that. You know. Just in terms of an objective viewpoint of our band in the greater conversation if mm. we weren't labeled as a Christian band. Mm. You know what I mean? I, I think we can hang, in other words, yeah. with a lot of those other bands. And yet maybe we haven't been afforded as many opportunities um as might have come our way if we weren't a little bit more careful about that perception building process mm. in the beginning. Um so sometimes sometimes that's a little bit disappointing in looking back. Um, I have to paper that with thankfulness because we've been able to do so many great things as well. If you start looking at what opportunities didn't come your way, especially in this business, you go crazy. Mm. So, but yeah, I mean, that's always been a fight, uh, is to overcome a certain perception, um, and to get people to just listen to the music for what it is.
2: so at this point in, in, in the career of project 86 like you guys are coming out of um this record contract with atlantic you know it's it's not moving forward like you Kind of had envisioned uh, it to be, and I can only imagine you guys must have been in probably what early twenties at this point. Uh, Pretty pretty young men, (laughs) mid (laughs) twenties. Yeah, okay. So young 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 guys with a lot of hope, you know, and and I'm sure a lot of dreams that you know, like things weren't quite going the way that you had planned it. Um, And if I remember reading this correctly, I I think you guys had uh, basically gotten your way out of your your record contract, right with with Atlantic and were, I know you are independent for, for a brief moment and actually had recorded um, your follow-up album, Music to Burn Your Bridges By, independently before Tooth & Nail picked you guys back up again, right?
4: Yeah. Um, we took a few of the songs from the Truthless Heroes sessions and wrote some more and released um, songs to burn your bridges by independently for just a really brief period of time, and then they they bought it from us, basically, and re-released it.
2: So that, that actually is one of my, that's still my, probably my number one project 86 gym album, because I I call it your, um, the frustrated, angry album. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um, but like, um, I I see, I see kind of like a couple different moments of rebirth throughout the career of project 86. And I remember around this time, I remember talking to you after a show and I think it was Indianapolis or something. And, um, and I don't, I don't remember if this is correct or not, but, um, but I I feel like you told me that at one point during the recording of truthless heroes, um, Atlantic wouldn't let you guys tour or something weird like that. Is that right? Or am I making that up? I might be making that up.
4: Well, we were caught in this weird spot because we were really trying to be intentional about, um, only doing general market opportunities. So it wasn't Mm. just Atlantic wasn't letting us tour. It was more like, um, you guys are good enough. This is what our camp is telling us, the label, et cetera. You know, you guys are good enough and should be seeking out, you know, real opportunities, not just like the Christian market opportunities. So I think we were all not overdoing Christian festivals, et cetera, but more just like, man, we need to be doing, you know, Lollapalooza or, you know, at that time, Ozfest or, you know, things are a little bit more legit. We should be focusing our energy on that. And when, you know, not as many of those opportunities came, um, we ended up not doing as much of anything. You know, Um, there was one summer, uh, I think it was 2002. It was right before Truthless Heroes came out. Um, We probably should have been on every Christian festival (laughs) in the land because, you know, we had a lot of momentum at that point. And I think we only ended up doing cornerstone one because our focus was just on recording. Um, and that's where that sentiment probably came from. It's like, we were spending all of our time writing and recording for months and months and months and months.
2: Oh, okay, Um, wow. So, so like at that, at that point, I remember, I remember you being like noticeably frustrated. I remember talking to you like, and I appreciate like just this, the honesty, um, that, that you afforded me when we were when we were talking after a show, just about like because I remember specifically like I think it was literally the difference between the prior show I'd seen you guys in that show like was the difference between like you know like the size of the crowds so had obviously like gotten a little smaller and stuff and and I could tell that you were just frustrated with where the the, uh, the 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 record deal went with like Atlantic and stuff and and I remember reading about the fact that that you guys were were as a band obviously very frustrated. What does that do? like what kind of conversations were you guys having as a band like was there ever a moment where you're just like man I don't even know if we can keep doing this and what does that do to your personal faith like as you deal with with uh probably what I would assume is your first really big obstacle as a band
4: Yeah those are really good questions um there was obviously a lot of um Self-doubt and questioning about what is to happen next, even in the midst of making truthless heroes, because it was really all or nothing in the minds of most of the guys and myself. Um, although I think I probably had a little bit more of a bigger picture view of it than some of the other guys. Um, uh, but it was a—it uh, was very. Uh, a difficult time it was it was hard to go through all those things Where it's like there was moments where we felt like all the difficulty we had gone through as a band in making that record was going to be worth it when we're sitting in the president of atlantic records office and he's playing one of our songs and saying are you guys ready to sell money records um oh my gosh this is all gonna pay off you know and then it And then it just doesn't work out that way. And you sort of feel like you're a victim of circumstance and you're a victim of other people who are involved in the process, a victim of politics or management or whatever. Um, A lot of that um, had a, had a role to play. Um, But at the end of the day, it's almost like things went the way they went for a reason, you know? And uh, at that time, it was just really disheartening and difficult to be, to watch sort of your dreams go up in smoke, you know? Um, and it's very easy to get frustrated at the people around you, get frustrated at yourself, you know, um, get frustrated at, at everything in that process. It's, that was really, really hard, a hard thing to go through, you know? And um, I think the lesson that we were learning and that I learned is like, okay, what, what person would I have been had we achieved all of our goals? Mm. Who, who would I have been? What would my soul have looked like? Mm. I don't know that know the answer to that, but, um, it may not have been a good picture. And maybe, maybe I was being protected personally, you know, from having too much success. Mm. Um, and so I mean, I feel like that answers the second part of, the, of your question. Um, why did things go that way? Uh, I don't have the answer to that, um, but I have a stinking suspicion it's because God loves me and He doesn't want me to lose my soul over, you know, becoming a gigantic rock band. You know what I mean?
5: Mm, yeah.
4: don't you want
3: to see I still feel. Of me, into and the and
1: came out, yeah. so like you know you've been you've been making music and in, in and out of different um you know in, in, in not genres but you know different labels you know different expectations you know different uh, you know sounds and all kinds of different things for so long and, you know, you've interacted with uh, power and fame and money and popularity and all those kinds of expectations all the while uh, being a person of faith. I wonder um, how how have you noticed that your faith has changed or evolved over the years through, through this long process?
4: Well, um, I think, you know, my perception of faith in the context of Christian culture has changed the most. Mm. Um, my faith has become a little bit more simple. Like if I can articulate, like, how do I know God is in my life? It's just every day he shows up, you know, every day he does something that I really need, but don't expect, Mm. you know, every day he shows me that he is trustworthy, even if I'm not, you know, and, and, um, I just don't really deserve all the cool ways that he provides and um, gives of himself to me every day. Um, and that has nothing to do with Christian music or <laughs> subculture of church or, or any of those things. But I just know that personally speaking, he shows up every day in my life. Um, and, I think it's really easy when you're in the midst of, you know, being some sort of public figure or some sort of artist that, you know, certain people might admire and look up to or whatever respect, um, to lose sight of who you really are. And that is, you're just, just the person whose life on this planet is short Mm. and none of this, none of this stuff matters in the, in the, in the grand scheme of things that much. Um, and I certainly am. Am not, um, you know. I, of course, I'm special in the sense that um, I'm a unique individual. Um, is a reflection, you know, of God. But I'm not like I, I, I'm nothing in the grand scheme of eternity. I'm nothing in the in the scope of His, you know, larger plan or whatever. And you start believing that you are something great or something awesome because you're being told that by so many people. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. yeah. Um you know, I watch this happen to like bands and guys in bands over and over and over again. They start out and they're kind of humble and they're real people and then they get big and then they turn into these <clears throat> rock star egos and you know, you start believing your own hype. And I just think that happens to everybody who does mm. this for a living. Yeah man. Um and it's really hard not to. And then at some point you come back to earth again and you go through this whole process and hopefully, you know, your soul remains intact on the other side, you know, cause I know guys who've been in bands who started out as quote unquote Christian and then they renounce their faith, and then they, you know, become atheists or whatever. You seen that happen a lot. Um, you know, this sort of way of trying to make a living really does do a number on people's souls. So I, I've counted myself as one of the fortunate that, you know, my face is still intact.
2: Yeah, no question, man. So, so I, I consider this like, so that this period coming into like your second, second round with tooth and nail is kind of like your first, the first rebirth of the band or whatever you guys kind of get the second shot with tooth and nail, um, and you put out, um, and the rest will follow, which is one of my favorite records you guys have ever done. Um after obviously like um, music to bring your bridges by and um, just really enjoy that record. Still love it. Um, so after, after a while with uh, kind of resigning with tooth and nails and, tooth and nail and everything um, you know, what your original drummer, Alex like leaves the band. And one of the things I think I'm really interested about is like the band dynamic. And we've got a lot of friends who are musicians. Obviously we've got some mutual friends with like the guys from house of heroes and, and uh, dead poetic and stuff like that. But um but something that always comes up with, uh, um, with people who have been in bands for long periods of time is how they, they kind of liken it to, to a, a weird marriage. So what, what is that like when you have this vision and then you have a member whose vision maybe isn't the same as yours anymore and they decide to step away from the band? Because obviously, you know, for, for fans like me who have followed you guys for a long time, obviously like, um, you're the lone remaining original member at this point. So what, is, what was that like for you?
4: Um, you know, I think there was a unique, um, chemistry created with the, you know, the four guys that are perceived to be like the OG lineup, um, you know, for better or worse, you know, we made some cool music, um, during the time, um, that we were, you know, on the same page creatively and with the goals of the band. But I really think that that dynamic was short lived. It really sort of exhausted itself during the drawing black lines era. Um, and then when Truthless Heroes rolled around, that's where the disconnect sort of began, um, because certain guys wanted to move on with their lives, and it kind of became like, oh, okay, if we're not going to blow up and be a huge band, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And then other guys wanted to be a rock band rather than a heavy band, and um, really... Drawn Black Lines was the last time we were ever really on the same page. Um, So, you know, I started Project, I put the band together, I kind of recruited the guys, I named the band, you know, um, really was kind of the driving force behind the the vision of what the sound was supposed to be and where the band was supposed to go and how we were supposed to approach it. Um, And so when guys, you know, start wanting to pull it in different directions, the whole thing, either needs to change and go a different direction or those guys need to leave, you know? Yeah. Um, and that, and that's sort of what happened eventually with, you know, all the, all those guys is they had, you know, the direction that they wanted to go creatively or with their, their careers or whatever, in the context of the Spanish didn't fit with what the original vision was. Um, that's not to say that, you know, I was responsible for asking you know, guys to do this or do that, but that's just naturally what happened, you know? Um, And I think the season that we had together was strong, but I think it was the right thing when those members left when they did. Yeah. Yeah, so so coming out of your,
2: uh, I believe it was uh, Picket Fence Cartel, your last record with Teeth and Nail. Um, I remember as a fan, like, feeling like the uncertainty, like, oh man, is this like it for them? Are they going to still keep going? Because right around that time would have been uh, when the, the last of the, as, as you put it, the OG squad uh, kind of left the band or whatever. Um, and then you end up putting out this amazing record uh, with some new guys and um, what I felt like perceived to be like this reinvigoration of the band and this burst of, of creativity um, and, and putting out like just this this fantastic record. Um, is that the way that you felt when you guys uh when you you know, made the decision to crowdsource this this thing and and see if see if you could do it on your own?
4: You're talking about wait wait for the siren, which is the record that we put out in two thousand twelve, which has like our biggest single ever as a band, which is Fall Goliath Fall. Yeah, you guys
2: um, got on uh March Madness too, right?
4: Yeah. Uh I mean that song was just such a symbolic Victory for just the band, and for me personally, etc. Uh, in in the beginning days of the band, the the dynamic to writing the music was four people sitting in a room together and writing the songs. Um, as it evolved, you know, certain guys wanted more control of certain elements of the writing equation. And so it became this sort of fractured thing, um, which became more and more tense the further we went on. It was like this weird power struggle or something over the creative direction of the songs, etc. Um, and, you know, you got an album like Rival Factions, which is kind of a, a me, wa- me waving the white flag to the other members of the band saying, okay, you guys really want to be a rock band, so I'll, kind of, I'll sort of do a record that kind of goes along with where you guys are trying to pull this thing. But I always wanted to be like a more aggressive sound. So to be honest, you know, fall, fall Goliath and, and with the siren as a whole as a record was, um, creatively driven from top to bottom by me. Um, you know, I co-wrote with one other guy. Um, but the driving impetus of all the music and the songs and the vision for the whole thing came mostly from me. Um, And, you know, it was a new challenge for me because I took on way more responsibility for every part of the creative process, like drum parts, do everything else, (laughs) you know. So uh, that's where where that life energy comes from on that record, because um, you reach a point where it's like you're dealing with guys who are not on the same page musically. And everything you end up writing feels sort of like a compromise, rather than something that you're really excited about. Um, and while I think every project record has redeeming songs and really good songs, I think there's a lot of really strong songs on "Wait for the Siren," and um, that was a really fun record for me to make because it was such an interesting challenge. Um, and I think you know the, the the guys who were in the band previously were probably like, well you know, he's not going to be able to do this or do that. And there was, you know, motivation on my part to go, Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. I say that, that ended uh, feel pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It felt really good. You know, obviously because if anybody doubts you, you know, um, that's great motivation. Yeah. You know, especially when you're playing like more aggressive music. So, it was really fun to confront that and sort of come out on the other side with a record that is, was really, really strong.
2: Were you listening, watching a lot of Braveheart at the time? Because I got that vibe from, from that album. Is like I mean, not just that
4: <laughs> film, but Viking that, movies. You know, <laughs> genre. That genre of movies was definitely, you know, those films are. are every guy loves <laughs> loves that kind of thing. Whether we're talking about 300 or Braveheart or Gladiator or any one of those type of classic you know, old school war films. (laughs) Yeah. We wanted to kind of tap into those emotions.
2: I love it. Have you, have you seen the the movie, the 13th warrior? I think that's the most underrated Viking movie probably ever made. I've never seen
0: that.
2: Oh, no, but I'll, I'll add that to the list. You got to check that out, man. It's so good. (laughs) Guilty pleasure movie. Um, that's awesome. So, um, to kind of fast forward a little bit, so obviously now, like you put out wait for the siren, um, your first record completely, um, you know, funded through through fans and, and that sort of thing. So you've kind of like you've kind of like you your music career kind of came along at an interesting point in time because you kind of came out of the heyday of of like when record labels were still really, you know, um in control um and people still bought whole albums and appreciated cover art and, you know, the album artwork. And, you know, I remember I used to get excited just to look through the booklet and everything to kind of this period of time that's very internet driven, uh, very much like people just buy singles now. And, um, but on the flip side, you can also crowdsource an album and it's kind of taken the power away, um, substantially from record labels to the point where they're, they're kind of hemorrhaging at this point and like just dropping artists like flies. What, what kind of a strange journey has that been for you to go from, from one kind of universe to this new uncharted territory we find ourselves in?
4: yeah it's definitely a different time in music, and we've been so fortunate to have uh, a loyal fan base along the way, and they continue to want new music, and yeah, it is totally possible to put out records and to um, have a, a career um, without the benefit or without the help of a record label, um, which is you know at first was very disconcerting and scary, and now it's we've um, done it enough. Times this is our third crowdfunded effort. That um, it's not scary, it's really uh, invigorating, albeit a lot of work. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a different time of music. We've um, lived through a lot of different incarnations of the music industry, and to be able to still survive and play music, we just played a bunch of shows in Europe to some really good crowds and just. Blown away by the fact that you know we've been doing this. I've been doing this for quite a while, and it's still vibrant. It's still fun. You know, it's still um, relevant in many ways. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. I mean, the mantra has always been: we'll keep doing this as long as the fans keep supporting us, and they continue to do so. And the 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 crowdfunding angle just seems to strike a real cord with our fan base. They just really get behind it. Yeah. So that really benefits everybody. So, so
2: as you start to reflect this year, obviously, like I, I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, this is, you know, uh, you're, you're putting out this new record. I've uh, just released the Am I allowed to say the title? I'm allowed to say the title now, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So sheep among wolves, uh, is the, is the new record that's coming out. Um, and, uh, I'm super excited. You know, I've been uh, a supporter. So I've, I've, Gotten the, the honor and the privilege getting to, to listen to some of the new tracks and stuff. Um, it, to me, it's just like, it's like comfort food. You know, it's like good old Project 86, but there's still like a ton of diversity in there. Um, what were some of the motivations? What were some of the, obviously, like one of the things that drew me to your band initially was just, I, I love good lyrics. I love thought provoking lyrics, which is why I detest most pop music. Cause it, to me, it's just disposable crap that like, Fifty years from now, we're not going to look at most of those songs like, "Oh, this is a classic," you know. But um, mm-hmm. and and you've written about a wide variety of topics. Um, so what were some of the motivations? What were some of the topics um, on the on the new record?
4: Ah, uh, thanks for the kind words, by the way, about lyrics. Um, I agree, and I, I always thought that it. You know, I don't ever want to be the type of lyricist that doesn't spend time on lyrics um and just sort of you know puts a few words down that rhyme and kind of leaves it at that um I always sort of obsess over it and I try to make something unique out of each song um without trying to sound ridiculous like I'm trying too hard <laughs> you know it still needs to be like palatable but hopefully you know create a picture or inspire some unique thought so, I appreciate that. um like thematically on the new record, um there's a song that was pretty heavily influenced by Dante's Inferno, but it's just the idea that in order to get to a really um good place or even like a heavenly place, um sometimes you have to go through hell, and so uh, there's a lot of. Quotes from Dante's Inferno in that particular song. Um, There's another song that I wrote about our culture's sort of obsession with um, physical transformation, like transgenderism, basically, Um, and just sort of looking at that phenomenon and what the real sort of driving uh, motivation is, you know, for wanting to change your physical appearance or your physical identity. Um, there's one song about that. Um, there's another song that's sort of written in metaphor. This is the the title track, Sheep Among Wolves. Um, it's about just becoming, it's, it's sort of a lament of a former shapeshifter um, who once had the power to, you know, transform at night into you know, like a wolf man, basically, Um, but who then lost the power to do so and is looking back on his life as a former shapeshifter and, you know, missing it, basically. Um, It's kind of an interesting song, lyrically, and uh, I don't want to give too much away because I think when people read the lyrics, they'll... Have some things to think about and debate about it about what it's really about, what it's try, what it's trying to say, but um most of my songs are actually very simple, like what the the theme is or what the message is. Um, I just try to say things in a unique way so it's not just cut and dry, um, but when you boil down most of the songs and I say, "Oh, this song was about this, um, a lot of times it's not what people thought it was, you know and I, I I like that personally, yeah. Are there any
2: lyrics that you look back and you're like, oh, why did I write that?
4: Oh, tons, yeah.
2: <laughs> Especially tons. when you were probably younger, and you're like, oh, what I think now, you know, compared to what what I thought when I was eighteen or nineteen or twenty.
4: Yeah, I mean, those first couple records definitely. There's a lot of material where I think that. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, it's almost it's almost like a you know looking back. I would imagine like looking at a like your own journal, you know, like that you started when you were essentially a teenager through, through adulthood. So Mm -hmm. kind of, kind of an interesting uh, way to reflect on your life that most of us would never, uh, never experience. But so as, uh, that leads me actually into the next question, which is from a faith perspective, you started this journey essentially as a teenager, you know, you started this, this band um, out of high school and now you're, you're a grown adult, you know, with, with a wife and kids and um, if I understand correctly, you've recently moved back to Orange County, so you've come full circle, essentially.
4: Yeah, it's um, definitely been a winding road, uh, <laughs> but I'm uh, back, back in Orange County, and uh, thankfully so. Um, yeah, I spent most of my life in SoCal, so it's kind of part of
2: me now. Snow's fun when you get to go skiing, but not like all the time. You know, I can imagine that the, the weather in Orange County is probably a little bit more palatable.
4: <laughs> so Yeah, I was in Colorado for a couple of years and uh you know, I found that I, I haven't I don't handle the winter weather as well now because does, I've been man. so spoiled. Who does? Yeah.
2: <laughs> so um so what's what's the future look like for Project Eighty Six, um, and what what other? Because you're you're obviously a busy guy. Like for most people that follow you, they know that you're a uh, an author. You've got I've got um, I think all of your books sitting here. I mean, you've got quite a few books out. Um, you've written blog posts for other publications. Um, obviously, you've got Project Eighty Six. You've also got um, Lennon Six Echo. I'm wondering if there's going to be more music there. And then uh, obviously we got the. Um, you you launched a uh, graphic design uh, business. It looks like within the last year with some really cool stuff you've been working on. So what's, what's the future look like for Andrew Schwab?
4: May I ask you a question? A lot of my time is consumed right now with design work and just music. Uh, That's been going really well. And uh, I'm doing some work for some, some cool companies. Did some t-shirts the other day for um, Stone Brewery, which is really cool. Oh yeah. Um, And, uh, Uh, the album art for the new project record and doing some stuff new logo for Uprise Festival in Pennsylvania website for Joshua Fest so hopefully that will continue to grow Um, musically speaking and for Project 86 um, we just finished the European tour and obviously we have this new album dropping now and uh, we will probably be supporting that in various forms, doing shows. Um, man, I just, I love, I'm thankful for the fact that I have so many different creative outlets that have become viable for my life that I'm able to provide, you know, for my family and my kids and doing things that I love that there's enough people who enjoy my work that I continue to get more work. I mean, if I can, do that for the majority of all of my adult life. I mean, I would die a very fulfilled and happy person. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm just really thankful that people care about my work and, you know, continue to consume it and demand it. And hopefully I can continue to grow as an artist and get better at my various crafts so I can keep putting out things that people enjoy. So,
2: so you still didn't, you still didn't tell me more London six echo or no,
4: (laughs) Oh, I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> man, I haven't put a lot of thought into that recently. I mean, I have such a soft spot in my heart for electronic music. It was super um, good. <laughs> and that's what that was born out of, um, was just that, that love for, for electronic music. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, I only have so much time and uh which endeavor is going to make the most sense to put my time into and so unless i get some sort of crazy inspiration you know i don't know i don't know what's gonna happen i'm not gonna say no but uh, (laughs) at this point in time all my time is going into project 86 pledge music fulfillment and graphic design and then we'll see what happens after that nice well nobody nobody's mad about that
2: so um so, yeah, like, uh, last question for you. Are, are there any, uh, any artists um, or collaborations that you that you would still love to make happen at some point?
4: Oh, man. I mean, there's tons of bands out there that I, I love. I don't know if it makes sense to, to do something creatively as Project 86 with. however. Um, gosh, I mean, the funny thing about Wait for the Siren is, like, a, a hip-hop record with some guests yeah. on that record. You know, and I was able to, you know, put a few voices on there that I've been wanting to hear on a project song, et cetera. I don't know, man. Um, I have to leave that one open ended. I, I don't have anything specific that I can think of or any one specific that I can think of. Um, but I'm sure, uh, you know, some answers will pop in my head 20 minutes after we, we finish.
2: Well, I, I for one, feel like if zach de la never gets his act together and reunites with rage i would love to see you front that band so just throwing that out there like the new profits of rage things okay but i mean come on you know we can do better i was thinking more like taylor Taylor swift or yeah 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 oh man schwab and andrea bocelli yeah yeah. (laughs) very cool man well um the the new record is is out now uh, it's called Sheep Among Wolves. Um, where can people go out and get it right now? What's the best place to pick this record up? Uh,
4: anywhere digital music is sold is is great. Um, um, if you visit us at Project86.com and you buy the record either digitally or physically, uh, we get all of the proceeds that goes directly to the band. So that's probably the best place. Perfect.
2: People, go do that. Go do yeah. that. Support the artists. We're all about that. And... Uh, for those that want to go see your design work, uh, andrewschwab.com, dot com is that the the best place to go?
4: Yeah, yeah. Or follow me on Instagram, just a Schwab eighty
2: six. Perfect. Sorry, man. And and I'm um, I'm assuming you guys will come back through Columbus, but I can't recommend enough. If if uh, for people listening who like heavy music, um, like thought provoking lyrics, go out and see these guys live. Um, I can't recommend enough. It's one of the best shows um, I've seen, and I've seen a lot of shows because i'm just getting older by the second and so (laughs) you are you are quite the connoisseur john so you are you are to be trusted thank you thank you well thank you so much this has been a it's been an honor dream come true for me as a as a (laughs) super fan so awesome i appreciate you taking some time out and uh um can't wait for the new record um i'll have it right now so i'll have already been listening to it so (laughs) so go ahead and get it Thanks for hanging
1: with us, well, Andrew. We really it.
2: appreciate you, man. Yeah, of
4: course, man. <laughs> of course. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Appreciate all the great questions. Absolutely. Thanks, Take man. Take care. To drown the grief,
3: we drown the game. We train the water with the bait.
2: How you feeling, John? Man, I feel like I feel like my dream just got, you know, like that was my wake of wish right there. It was. That was. That was that was fun. It was your Christmas wish, <laughs> t- Tiny Tim? I enjoyed it. Do you think like, do you think like I I just want him to be impressed
1: with my level of Project 86 knowledge? Dude, there's no doubt in my mind that he was <laughs> super, super impressed with your Project 86 knowledge.
2: I didn't even unleash like a like Oh, I could tell you were holding that. That was the tip of the iceberg. It was man. just the tip. I was like, so, part of me was like. I should probably pretend that I don't know as much as I know. Cause I don't know what level it gets to be weird. So
1: see when we were interviewing Derek Webb, like back in the day, yeah. I didn't even pretend. What I was like, it? just listen, I've been <laughs> listening to you for a really long time. And I think this is really great. And I want to know what this one song is about because I was like, <laughs> So I get it, man. You did a, you were much more poised
2: than I was, which you always are. I tried. I tried very hard, but sometimes it's tricky, man, when you're, when you're talking to your idol, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, no, great job. It's just, it's always fun. Like, you know, we could get in a rut if we weren't careful on the show of, like, always just having, like, philosophers, theologians, you know, things like that. I just yeah. think it's really important to get voices that are unusual for what we normally do. So he was just, he was great.
2: I just, and there's something about, like, just a really good story that, that I think that, that I enjoy, that I think that other podcast listeners enjoy as well. So like, you know, sometimes it's, it's uh, you know, like we have episodes where like we just blow your mind right out of the window, like, and that's fun And that's awesome. And we love doing that. But sometimes like, it's just fun to have a really cool, unique story. Like insight Absolutely. into something that I will never experience. I wish, man, if I could go back to 18, start a band and be halfway decent at it. Yeah. Like totally. But you've got the voice for it, man. It's too often. Oh, It's too late though.
1: But I think that this episode goes to show you, um, just how complicated, um, being a public figure in any kind of spiritual arena is, uh, how much goes, uh, kind of wrong with that and right with that and just how difficult and what layer of anxiety and burden and pressure and all these kinds of things. And, uh, I just really appreciated him just being open to all the questions we threw at him. Um, I know a lot of that stuff probably isn't easy to experience and it is traumatic And that's one of the weird things about being an interviewer is you're like, hey, you know that wound that you're totally healed from? Can I rip that off? And can we talk about that a little (laughs) bit? And could you bleed a little for me so we can all relate to you and feel a sense of, like, you know, community here? But um, he was just great, man. He was so generous. And uh, it was, again, really fun getting to, you know, watch you interview your (laughs) hero.
2: I'm really glad that you just didn't whip out your phone and start taking video of me just like, like, just. Oh, I did. And it will be giggling. It will be leaked (laughs) soon. Patreon on the interwebs. No. <laughs> That's on our YouTube channel. Um, kidding. But uh, yeah, it was super fun. I'm, I'm super thankful that, that he was uh, willing to do it. And of course um, we played some of the, some old tracks from uh project 86 throughout the episode. And um, um, I think we got the new single at the end here. So um, enjoy that. And of course, uh, as of today, right now, that album is available on iTunes and anywhere that good music is sold. I, I think it's a digital only release. So go to your places where you download your, your tunes or whatever. But um, the new album is called Sheep Among Wolves. And uh, I know some of the radio stations are already playing. I think the new single is called MHS. Um, so I think that's already already on local radio stations and whatnot. So if so you if like. You're, if you're at the gym getting swole. Yeah. If you're getting your gains. And you got to hit the next level.
1: And you <laughs> want to do so with a very generous, thoughtful, contemplative, cool guy. Who's going to scream in your freaking eardrums. Yeah. Get Andrew Swab in and Project eighty six,
2: dude. I love it. I love when he screams in my face. I know you do. It helps me get that extra rep, you know.
1: I am glad that we hit this watermark for the deconstructions podcast.
2: <laughs> Death metal complete. See, we've we've checked all the boxes. We've checked now. all the boxes. <laughs> Death metal done. <laughs> so yeah, hopefully you guys enjoy that. If you guys are Project eighty six fans, um, hopefully you had a good time with that one. Um, next week, oh, you guys don't even know. Next week the episode
1: next week is going to be so good. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. I'm leaving it at that. I, I want to, I want to wrap up this little episode here by just thanking anybody that's supporting us, uh, on Patreon. Most of the stuff you give honestly goes back to you anyway. We kind of set it up that way. It's more of a way to engage than anything else. Um, but thank you for just wanting to be involved and. Uh, for wanting to uh just be a part of what we're doing it just means so 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 much to us and we're doing everything we can to consistently take this thing to the next level and uh reach out and have the conversations that you guys are wanting to have so um happy holidays yes keep deconstructing and for now we are your hosts i'm adam narlock and i'm john williamson and i'm a very happy boy you're a very happy boy grace and peace everybody happy holidays